Coming up this week on Sporting Journal Radio. First petition says delist the Western Great Lakes Wolves. Cougar got hit in Minneapolis. Cougars get hit on in Fargo. So you could delist mm. the Great Lakes population and still have protected populations elsewhere in the country. I fish, I hunt, and always will. Broadcasting from the Alclair Outdoor Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. <clears throat> We're not just a radio show anymore. This is Sporting Journal Radio. That's right. Welcome to the show. My name is Brett Amundsen. Thank you for tuning in right here on this radio station. Maybe downloading the podcast or watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much for coming and checking this show out. We got a really good one for you this week, ladies and gentlemen. The wolf topic is heating up in Minnesota. If you didn't think it was heating up before, it's really starting to ramp up now, especially when uh, deer numbers, deer harvest numbers were down in Minnesota, and they've been trending downward in the Northeast uh, for a number of years now. So we have Brian Lynn from the Sportsman's Alliance Foundation. They are suing the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service about the wolves on the endangered species list as part of the Endangered Species Act. We're going to find out why they have this lawsuit, what it means, and what it could mean, and what the status of it is coming up. we got a really great discussion with Brian coming up this week. We're also going to bring in Joe Henry, who has some words of wisdom for our own Dan Amundsen. Dan, what's going on over there? Have you ever started a show by saying it's not a terrific show or it's, a great show coming up? They're always amazing shows, of course. Well, I'm not saying I'm not doubting that. I'm just just curious. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> well, it's because we always bring good shows. That is our goal here to always bring you a quality outdoor experience. It'd be on interesting if, if there was one radio show that said we don't. <laughs> this week's just terrible. Gonna mail it in. <laughs> terrible show today. We'll just turn it I don't off. Know what we're gonna do? <laughs> I know a lot of shows that should be saying that. Well, wow. Hey, I'm I just care, care to share any names. <laughs> I'm just ours. Let's out the Sporting out, Journal Radio. Let's out the outdoor industry. <laughs> uh, we got plenty of controversial topics this week. We don't need to get another one. Uh, we are also going to talk about a mountain lion in Minneapolis and its untimely demise met on 394. What happened? We'll explain coming up in uh, just a second. Huh? First, Dan, who are this week's sponsors? Live Target. Match the hatch at Live Target Lures this winter.com. Plenty of ice fishing baits there. Lake of the Woods Tourism. You can use those Live Targets at Lake of the Woods. It's the walleye capital. Plan a trip for this winter at Lake of the Woods, MN.com. Haybale Heights Campground and Resort. Fish out of a snow bear on Devil's Lake this winter. Learn more at Haybaleheights.com. Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And Prairie Sportsman. The new season starts in January, but you can watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel. Pretty excited. Going to film a deer hunt for Prairie Sportsman this weekend, actually, with Danny Thompson from Garmin. For a lot what? of people, a lot of people know him from Garmin, but I'll tell you what, man, that guy's passion for whitetails is unmatched, and the amount of work he puts in for food plots and land management is uh, is unbelievable. So we're gonna we're gonna talk to Danny and see some of his work firsthand. And you know what I'm taking down there, Dan? This is a first for Sporting Journal Radio, by the way. What's you know, that? You know, well, you know, I got the new Toyota Tundra last week. This week, while we're recording this podcast, a woodland brand new car! <laughs> yeah, you get one and you get one. A a brand new Toyota RAV4, the Woodland Edition, is just showed up in the driveway. Brand new car! It's here, and uh, they dropped it off, and they want us to use it for a week and drive around in it, check it out, tell you about it. Uh, so thank you, Toyota, for providing us with this uh, RAV4. So we're going to take it down and uh, do some deer hunting with it and do some filming and, and stuff with it. So uh, we'll, I, I have yet to see it. Dan, you went out and met the guy. It's in the driveway. That's what I know. Is it camel? Could you, did you even see it? Did it, was, it blend in? Well, it's dark. Oh. It was dark. For those of you watching this on Friday at 10 a.m., it's currently dark. It's a, This is SJR After Dark. <laughs> That's right. It's a Woodland Editions. I don't know if that means, I don't think the vehicle is going to be camel. I don't know what color it is. I, I'm, I'm assuming there's some, maybe some camel trim on the inside, probably. I don't know. We'll go take a look at it. We're going to drive it around for the next week. And uh, we'll be telling you more about it next week here on the show. And then uh, follow us on social and our personal socials, uh, Instagram, whatever. I'm sure you'll be seeing more about it. So if you're curious to know what the Woodland edition of the Toyota RAV4 is all about, we will tell you. And I'm going to try when I drive. I have to drive through the cities with it. And Dan, I'm going to try not to hit any mountain lines. But it sounds like the problem cat 
is no longer there anyway. Well, can they actually confirm that? I, I don't know. How do you know there's not two? It definitely could be. Definitely could be. So if you don't know the story, I think most people have probably heard the story, but if you haven't, we're going to tell you. There was, uh, I've got, we've got the story from uh, the Star Tribune. So thank you, Star Tribune. We're going to show you. So first, this mountain lion was caught in the Lowry Hill area of Minneapolis on uh, some sort of security camera. And if you watch this video, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see the video. Um, hopefully we won't get dinged for showing this, but that mountain lion jumped a fence into that driveway and then just kind of sauntered its way through the driveway past, uh, the resident's garage there. And then the next day, a guy driving a Hummer on 394 and he's pulling a trailer. Yeah. Just hit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just hit that little, little roll. Um, yeah. You're talking to yourself. There. I know this is a screen recording you made. Recording. <laughs> so you got to click it. I just saw the cursor going back and forth. I read this story and the guy's like, yeah, I hit it. It came out of nowhere. There was a thump. And then my, my vehicle went into the median and I'm like, Oh, okay. He hit a mountain lion. That's, I didn't think it'd be that drastic, but man, he totaled a Hummer hitting this mountain line on 394 and then killed it. And there it is. If you're watching this, I apologize that we're showing you a, a dead mountain line, but it's a dead one. It's roadkill. Uh, and it's so wild to see a mountain lion on 394 in Minneapolis like that. But uh, according to that Star Tribune article right there, that was the one that was spotted. But I don't know. But according to the Minnesota DNR, since 2004, only 77 mountain lions have been verified in the state. Some of those are roadkill. Some of those are trail cameras, and some of those are, I think, just tracks that maybe that were identified uh, by the DNR. So what was really interesting, I thought, though, was that 54 of those 77 have come since 2016. So out of 77 in the last 20 years, look at the graph right there if you're watching this, a majority of them have really taken place in the last seven years. Now, I don't know if that's because there's increased use of trail cameras, or if the population of cats in the Dakotas is going up, because most of these most of these animals, I mean, some people will argue that there's there's mountain lions in Minnesota, and they definitely pass through here. And yeah, maybe some stick around for a little bit, but there's been no documentation of like a, a female that's had uh, kit, kittens. Cubs, I, cubs, I, I mountain lion cubs. You're asking the wrong guy. Has had, has, has uh, nested. Has I don't <laughs> think they nest. I'm not sure what to does say. It, does a cat nest? Does I don't. A deer nest. I don't think there's been like breeding pairs in Minnesota. It's mostly been young males who get kicked out of a territory in the Black Hills or in Western North Dakota. You'll see them in Eastern North Dakota once in a while, just kind of passing through. They don't really hang out. Uh, just look at the the info from that radio track one back what was it 10 years ago or whatever that was caught on a camera i think in stillwater or something and then it got hit by a car like in connecticut or new jersey a couple of days later like the thing traveled halfway across the united states in a couple of days so obviously they passed through minnesota um and i won't get into the semantics of how long they stay here and things like that but 54 of those 77 coming some since 2016 so uh, are they coming through more is the population up more or are trail cameras just showing us more of the mountain lions it's interesting to see that one in minneapolis is uh pretty wild and i we really should be calling them cougars because there'd be so many more jokes about cougars i'm gonna say you make you say a lot of them pass through i know there's a bunch in fargo that i sit around <laughs> that you probably met doing radio up there hey oh cougar got hit in Minneapolis, cougars get hit on in Fargo. I don't know. <laughs> you lived there, so I'd assume. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, we have got Brian Lynn. What's our time? Is it time to break down? Nope. Keep talking. Keep talking. How it's much the first time I've ever told you that. Yeah. How much more time do we got? Oh, you know what we should talk about is a brand new podcast. We've teased it, talked about it a little bit here on Sporting Journal Radio, but the North American Waterfowl Podcast is finally here. We recorded a, a series of interviews, uh, recorded a series of podcasts back in 2021. We got a little busy, so we're finally putting them out. And the first episodes are about the best band story we've ever heard. So episode one is out in search of the best band story, and it includes a band found while fishing that's one of the oldest bands I've heard of. Uh, and it was in our backyard in Western Minnesota. So that was pretty interesting. Uh, and then we also tracked down 
the origin of another band that was shot by a friend of ours, Tony Crotty. And for the long time, he never, well, for a number of years, he didn't know what it was until this podcast, until we record this podcast. It's, it, it's at Jeans Argo sales on the band. And they did a little Google search and saw there was some Argo dealer, but never really knew, never called him, never really knew the history about it. So we track down Gene, we get him on the phone and it takes, it takes a while for us to figure it out, but we get to the bottom of the Jeans Argo sales band on the first episode of the North American Waterfowl podcast that is now available wherever you get your favorite podcasts or go to NorthAmericanWaterfowl.com or go to SportingJournalRadio.com. We've got it on uh, a whole bunch of places. Or the Sporting Journal Radio YouTube channel. This channel you're watching this podcast on, you can watch the North American Waterfowl show. Yeah, that's Hopefully right. Hopefully that doesn't confuse you. But <laughs> it's definitely going to confuse a lot of people. Well, figure it out. Be smarter. This is a brain <laughs> exercise for America. If you can't figure out our podcast, you're screwed. <laughs> Just Please figure our podcast out, please. This is our jobs. So uh, if we can do anything to help make it easier for you, just let us know. We will. Should I give your phone number out on the air? Uh, People can call you personally. You can you can contact us at Sporting Journal Radio. Call Brett personally. Or just comment below right here but if it, you're watching but this. If you're commenting below, click the, it'll say Sporting Journal Radio to the left. I don't know, to the left, I suppose. It'll be like right down here. Click that and then it should show up. Okay. If you're watching it on YouTube, if sure. you're commenting on the YouTube link, it'll be there. So if you're if you're if you're if you're pointing at your radio right now, you can't click on Just anything. Scream at your radio. Yeah. You can't figure it out. So, oh, my camera must have died. That's not gonna help. That's a great look. All right. So, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's the thumbnail. That's definitely the thumbnail for the podcast this week, right there. What's Dan? Caption what Dan's about to say about his mustache. Oh, no, oh, no way. Dang go. it. All right, it's back. All right, how's our time? Uh, let's take a break. Okay, so uh, coming up, Brian Lynn from the Sportsman's Alliance. They're suing the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service about wolves in Minnesota. All the details on the way. And uh, Joe Henry and we come back on Sporting Journal Radio. Live Target, the leader in Match the Hatch, is back with new lures that also match the action. Introducing the Live Craw. The Live Craw is irresistible to bass, walleye, and other freshwater species. FTEX winner, the ultimate frog, looks and acts just like a swimming frog. With an exposed ultra point mustad hook and replaceable legs, the ultimate frog has two styles, two sizes, and eight colors. And ICAST and FTEX winner, the live shrimp, mimics a fleeing shrimp for saltwater anglers. Coming soon. From Live Target. Ice fishing season is here. This winter, plan a trip to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Not only will you have the chance to catch their legendary perch, but this year, Haybale Heights has been catching big walleye after big walleye. And they're doing it from a mobile, comfortable snow bear. No matter how cold it is outside, you're warm and toasty on the inside. Learn more and book a trip today at haybaleheights.com. That's haybaleheights.com. All right, now it's time to talk to Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism. We got a special uh, segment with Joe this week, uh, Dan. We, Joe, you have, you have to teach young Dan about life. Yeah. What words of wisdom do you have this week? Well, I tell Dan? you what, I, uh, it's going to take a long time and a lot of teaching because I've got a lot <laughs> of years on Danny. What is that I'll supposed you, to mean? I'll, no, I'll, I'll tell you this much. All kidding aside. Anybody that's listening to this, and if you're not watching this, you are really missing out because if you saw that stash of Danny's, that mustache, I mean, I almost got for Christmas, I almost got you some mustache wax. I don't know if you curl it on the ends yet or not. And then the other thing I was going to do is I was going to get you, you know, maybe uh, an old cassette. I don't know if you know what a cassette is, but an old cassette (laughs) of like Queen, just to kind of represent Freddie Mercury because it kind of looks like Freddie Mercury's. Really, it does. I mean, you must have people calling you Freddie from time to time, don't you? Just, just you, Joe. Oh, Actually, oh, just, man, just you. Brett, Brett, come on. I, yeah, I mean, we could start calling him Freddie here on the show. Is that a compliment? Oh, he's wow. wildly famous. I mean, he, oh, everybody, people <laughs> flock to him. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm sure my mom would love if I curled the mustache up. I think so. I um, think you should. She should comment or, below. Or just full on. It seems like it's longer than it was last week. Well, you get a little lazier when you yeah. trim it. Well, you know, guys, I, I told you the story. And I don't, know here, if I, told, I don't know if I've told your listeners the story. 
which way, way back when I went to spring break that time. And of course, they like to hook you as a lifelong revenue stream when you go to spring break as a college student. You're at that age, they want to get you. And I think it was Gillette Company was at spring break down in Daytona Beach, Florida. And what they do is they bring up a, a nice looking female and they blindfold her. And then they'd grab five of us guys from the audience and she'd come across and feel our cheeks for the smoothest shave. And if you want, you know, you got a real nice prize package. So she felt my cheeks. She went and felt everybody else. She came back and felt my cheeks. And my gosh, if I didn't win the smoothest shave contest, I won a, a real nice prize package from Gillette. What I didn't tell her, I didn't shave that day. <laughs> <laughs> Better so to be lucky than good. Is, it's really just envy. It's, it's pure envy. I'm envious of all you guys with all that facial hair. Yeah, I've never seen you with a beard, Joe. No, 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 no. You know, I uh, I get a little bit of growth, you know, but boy, I'll tell you, it'd take a long time and it'd be a little bit patchy, I think. And not like Freddie. I'll tell you, Freddie's just <laughs> hey, it's, it's better to be good than, or lucky than good. Well, I'll tell you what, it sure warmed up this week. And I know I had to drive, what day was it? Wednesday, the day we're recording this, I had to drive uh, into the cities and back. And driving out, I left at six in the morning and driving out uh, early, there were some ponds and sloughs and lakes that had ice. And driving back in the afternoon, there was some open water on some of those. So I think we lost some ice this week, Joe. Yeah, it changed that quick, hey. I know, I know up at Lake the Woods, I was looking at the weather forecast, and, uh, you know, we're just coming off that St. Paul Ice Fishing Show, and, and people, of course, people, hey, how's the ice? How's, is it coming along? Am I going to, yeah. you know, my reservation's in early January. Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be okay at Christmas, you know? And, you know, every year Mother Nature is determined, but um, it, it was going to get to the 40s, to early, the, the low 40s, and then at night it was going to get to the uh, low 30s. And, you know, I don't think it's going to do a ton of damage. You know, that it, it might it might hit 40 or 41, but that's that angle of the sun isn't such that it melts a ton of ice typically. And, you know, we uh, we, we we're coming along up north, Brett. We, we got uh, we're marking some trails back in our bays. The ice guides are out there. Um, I would say that, uh, you, you know, uh, out on the main lake. Yeah, we're, we're starting to mark some trails. There's still some open water on the main lake that popped open, which is typical this time of year. There's some holes of open water. But when you look at a satellite view of Lake of the Woods, the whole the whole big Traverse Bay is ice covered. And then there's some spots of open water along shore and things like that. It's coming along. It's not there yet. Actually, up at the Northwest Angle, you know, they staked a trail from Young's Bay out to some of the islands and you know, um, it's not ready yet, but it's coming along very nicely up there. The ice is nice and smooth and it's clear. So we're making progress, but it's going to take a little time yet. I always say we're going to, you know, people ask me, how thick is the ice? And, and facetiously, I say it's anywhere from zero to eight inches. Yeah. Well, you know, Lake of the Woods is so big. How do you answer that? Right. It's almost well, like let's, let's rely on the ice guides or the outfitters in specific areas of Lake of the Woods and let them make a determination based on the ice that they're working, right? Yeah. Well, and that's six hours north of where I was driving today, which is almost, in a, you know, it's like in a different stratosphere sometimes, it seems like. A lot, yeah. of, a lot of different weather. And I was kind of surprised, you know, here in, you know, western, southwestern Minnesota, there's really no snow on the ground. I think there was just a little bit of a dusting in the driveway this morning. Uh, but when I got to the cities, they, they had actually gotten uh, a little bit of snow, enough to have to... Uh, shovel the shovel their driveways and and their sidewalks off there was still a little bit of, of uh, you know snow piling on the edge of some of the driveways I was kind of surprised at that so uh, it seems like every part of Minnesota got a little bit of different weather uh, this week but I mean historically we're getting into that time when ice fishing is going to be here and you, you're right you rely on those guys up there that are out there this is their job to go out and check that ice if they're out there staking trails they're out there checking ice conditions all over the place and that's why it just makes sense to to, you know, go through some of those guys up there at Lake of the Woods. 100%. You know, uh, people say, yeah, Joe, you just want you just want us to, to use the, the, the outfitters or the resorts. And, you know, it's not that at all. You know, for the measly 15 bucks you pay, you know, they're out there staking trails, checking ice, flooding ice, chopping down stuff, bridging cracks, uh, knocking down ice upheavals, driving the trails daily. Um, they know how far you can go out. Everybody wants to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Well, Usually deeper isn't even better ice. So we got to make sure there's good enough ice if we go deeper. And I mean, it just, they're, they're keeping you safe is what they're doing. And they're also a resource for, you know, uh, helping you understand what the bite is all about, what the bite windows have been, what kind of lures, what kind of colors, all of that stuff. So that's why I say, you know, rely on the, on the ice guys. There has been a little bit of fishing going on, quite honestly. Uh, I talked to one guy today and when I called him, he was uh, in a spear house doing some spearing on one of the back bays. 
um, for, you know, for Pike. And then uh, I know um, one of the other resorts, uh, they just had one of their ice guides go and just do a little bit of testing and caught a few walleyes. Uh, not that they're putting out the public yet, but but he was just, you know, as he's checking ice, he knew it was safe and inside of the fish the evening, got some nice walleyes. So things uh, things are, are starting to come. And I think we're going to be a little bit behind of where we normally are on average. People say, when do you normally start ice fishing? Usually about December 10th is when we get out our day houses as a rule. We're going to be a little bit behind that this year, I think, in most areas. Um, but, you know, we're not going to necessarily be far behind it. I said that the, the weather forecast has cold in it. And, you know, when you don't have any snow and you don't have thick ice, that ice can build really quick. Do you think, you know, those guys are really good at catching fish up there. The guides are good at staking trails and seeing how safe the ice is. Do you think they're good at telling people how to grow handlebar mustaches? You know, a lot of that, a lot of that has to do with luck of the draw based on uh, genealogy. And <laughs> that's something that Danny has going for me as genealogy. Now, he doesn't have the wisdom yet, but he has genealogy and he has one heck of a stash. That mustache, I mean, if there is a mustache contest, Danny, I think I'd probably oh, put my man. money in, honestly. All right. Uh, Joe, What if people want to get a, an ice fishing trip booked up to Lake of the Woods, what should they do? Yeah, an ice, an ice fishing trip or maybe a mustache report? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Check out, our, uh, check out our website, and that is lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Lake of the Woods, the walleye capital of the world, is calling out to you. From the Northwest Angle to the South Shore and Rainy River, this is the Midwest's number one ice fishing destination. Walleye, sager, perch, northern pike, and eel power. The fishing on Lake of the Woods is like a world of its own. Experience the most amazing fishing through one of the many full-service resorts featuring heated fish houses, ice transportation, meal plans, and sleeper fish house options. For more information, go to lakeofthewoodsmn.com. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. Looking for winter adventure? Might as well pick a place with over 1,000 lakes. Ottertail County, Minnesota is in the middle of everywhere, offers a simpler pace, and has something for everyone. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. All right, this is Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in on the network by demand, sportingjournalradio.com, or maybe you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. Give us a like and a subscribe uh, down below. And if you uh, have a comment about something that we're talking about, make sure you comment below as well, too, because we got a really important topic uh, for those of you listening in the region here. Uh, maybe you're in Minnesota, uh, maybe you're elsewhere, but Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan, for sure, this is probably a good topic for you right now because we're going to talk about wolves and uh, the situation with wolves and the endangered species list here uh, in just a second. Uh, we're going to bring on Brian, Brian Lynn right now. He's the Vice President of Marketing and Communications with the Sportsman's Alliance Foundation. Uh, Brian, how are you doing? Uh, doing great, man. Thanks for having us on. Oh, wow. Look at that. That's a nice background there. I thought I had a good background. You got a good one back back there, too. Uh, that's a fox over your left shoulder there, it sounds like. Yep, yep. All right. Well, I want to ask you about that uh, coming up later in the show. But first, tell us what the Sportsman's Alliance Foundation is. Sportsman's Alliance Foundation, uh, we're actually two 50C. There's a 50C3 and a 50C4, we're two organizations technically. We just go by the Sportsman's Alliance, but it's to provide a uh, well-rounded defense for hunting, fishing, and trapping. Uh, and we work in all all 50 state legislatures, state and federal court, and at the ballot box. And uh, basically we look out for hunters, anglers, and trappers, uh, bad bills that come through legislatures, uh, lawsuits you know that we can step into and make sure that hunters are represented you know when the government's handling something fish and wildlife gets sued for instance we can step in and make sure that our side is being represented or we can file lawsuits 
against states, against the federal government or whatever. Uh, and so it's just a look out for uh, your everyday hunter, angler and, and trapper that's out there. There may be no more important time than right now, I think, for an organization like that. I mean, you could you could probably look back in history and say, yeah, we needed we needed to fight this one in court. But I think there's so many threats to our way of life right now. And most of us that like to hunt and fish, we just want to go live in the woods and live off the land. Right. You know, go go shoot some deer, cook them up over, you know, over an open fire or whatever. It doesn't matter. None of us really want to deal with the politics and lawsuits and things like that. But it's so necessary and it's becoming more and more necessary to have an organization like this to fight for us right now. So I, I think this is great. I'm really excited about having you on. And I, I've been I've been following uh, Sportsman's Alliance and uh, we work with the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Riders. So, um, you know, we, we handle some of the communications and social media for a glow. So I've been, so just about every day I share something from your Instagram onto our Instagram. And every day there's something about this is a bad bill in this state on the East Coast. This is this is what's going on that you need to know about uh, out West and in the, you know, everywhere. It seems like there's always something that people need to pay attention to. And it's so easy just to try to tune all that out. And, and just go about your day and just watch your own bobber, as they say. But it's more and more important to be involved and at least be aware of the issues. And especially if something comes up at the ballot box, to know what to vote for, to be able to continue uh, the tradition of, of the outdoors. So I think this is great. And with, with what is happening in Minnesota and Wisconsin and Michigan with the Great Lakes Wolves, I'll never forget 2015, I was ice fishing and I was out there by myself and it was real slow and I was kind of kicked back and my phone vibrated and I see all this, this is like in the evening too. And I get this notice that the wolves are being relisted on the endangered species list. And, and I, I just, I just sat there and my eyes, my jaw kind of dropped and I couldn't believe that it happened. And right at, I mean, I was going on a wolf hunt in Ontario in two weeks right after that. And I, I, uh, I had a chance to interview Dave Meach, who's probably knows more about those wolves than anybody on the planet. And I had the chance to ask him why, what, what is the reasoning for this? And I, I said, what was your reaction when you heard about this? He said, I'm flabbergasted. Like there's no biological reason that these wolves should be back on the endangered species list. So this has been, and obviously this year with our deer hunting season, our harvest numbers are way down. People up in the northeast part of Minnesota, they're really starting to get vocal about the wolf population and what's going on. And obviously weather plays a role. Black bears play a role. There's other predators out there. But from the Sportsman's Alliance Foundation's viewpoint, when did this situation with the Great Lakes wolves, when did that kind of show up on your radar? Oh, well, we've been in the legal fight for about 20 years. This has been going on for two decades almost. And we've been a part of that, part of the appeals process, part of the, uh, uh, we've delisted them three different times. Oh, yeah. And they've been put back on on technicalities, on judges' rulings, uh, with the Humane Society, Center for Biological Diversity, Sierra Club. This is no longer about biology. <clears throat> about the wolf population itself. Now they're they're filing lawsuits on ambiguous pieces, making legal arguments, and it's about wording within the Endangered Species Act. It's it's just a legal chess game at this point. You know, and they're starting to run out of moves, but as you know, lawyers, they can come up with an argument for anything. Right. And uh, they're the ones getting rich here and everybody else is suffering. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we've been fighting this for about 20 years and you're talking about when they got relisted. I mean, I remember sitting here waiting just for the, for the ruling to come out. And so we could push, put up a story and it was, uh, yeah, it was a blow and it starts getting into, uh, uh, you know, they started pulling in different wolf populations is their argument that, if something were to happen hypothetically to the Great Lakes wolves, how does that impact the Rocky Mountain wolves, the wolves on the West Coast, the wolves, other wolf populations, and if they need to, you know, supplement those with genetic diversity? 
It also argued about historical range and and suitable habitat within that historical range, saying that fish and wildlife has to consider these different pieces, you know, which just takes time. Like it, the, the obvious answer is like, yeah, they're not, it's not suitable everywhere. Um, and, but that takes time to, to do correctly and to file the reports and get that kind of, that kind of information out there. Uh, yeah, so that's that's where we've been at, and that's part of what we've gone and done lately is we found a way to basically fulfill all the court's needs and file petitions with the with the government to hey let's fix this finally and fix it not just in the Great Lakes but the West Coast, the Rocky Mountains, and anywhere else the wolves might show up. I mean, I, let's let's go back a, a little bit. Um, I mean, the, the Humane Society of the United States has kind of been at the, at the crux of this whole situation, right? And they've just been, have they been, when, when you talk about this going on for 20 years, has it always been them or has it been like that Center for Biolog- Biological Diversity and the Sierra Club, some of these other organizations too, or is it, or is it all of them or is there one that's kind of spearheading this effort? Uh, I mean, they, they're all, they'll all jump in sometimes with different arguments, sometimes with different tactics, but Humane Society of the United States is the 200 pound gorilla in the room. I mean, they're the big dogs in the, in the world, you know, they have like a $200 million a year budget, you know? And so they got money to burn. You know, and I think it's, a, you know, <clears throat> maybe you can clarify this a little bit better, but a lot of people think, man, the Humane Society is great. They have uh, shelters for pets down there. I'm adopting pets. That's a, it's a different humane society than the one of the humane society of the United States. Yes. Your, your local shelter, your local humane society, I call it little H little S that's dependent on donations, sometimes local taxes, uh, humane society, of the United States. And they say this on their website cause they were getting called out for it. They do not run one single shelter do not financially support one single shelter they'll give out some grants here and there to do a spay and neuter thing but not 200 million dollars worth yeah they are a lobbying activist organization with lawyers lobbyists movie stars i mean they bring in a lot of money and spend a lot of money on making more money on advertising on uh, fundraising type deals uh and they've been that way for decades, but everybody gets them confused thinking they're yeah. a parent group. They have nothing to do with your local shelter. If you I'm, want to help the pets, give local. Yeah. Are they, I mean, is it, are they just an <clears throat> anti-hunting organization or is it some sort of wildlife welfare? Honestly, I don't even, we don't even need to talk about them. I don't even want to give them any more publicity to be honest with you um I, I just know from what i remember is they basically just went from judge to ju- federal judge to federal judge to federal judge until they could get somebody to hear their arguments and um like the at the the basis of their argument was i think you mentioned it that wolves hadn't returned to their historical ranges but as we know wolf populations have exceeded the the fed's goal for wolf populations, right? I mean, like we got plenty of wolves out there. There's yeah. no reason they need to be on that list. Yeah, no, they, uh, especially in the great lakes, you know, they've, they've exceeded the state plans. They've exceeded the federal plans yet. They're keeping it going with red tape and forcing the government to jump through hoops. Okay. You know, but, uh, it, obviously they're not, there isn't suitable habitat throughout the country but they have to document all this. In that same ruling, however, we won a big point and we said it back there and, and people didn't quite get it, but there, there's distinct population segments and that's the Great Lakes, that's the Rocky Mountains, what we're proposing is a West Coast one also and a remnant one. But the point that was argued in court, Humane Society said, it's a one-way street. You can only list a a distinct population we argued you could also delist so you could delist mm. the great lakes population and still have protected populations elsewhere in the country and they tried to say no the judge agreed with us and ruled that yeah you can delist 
And that's really at the basis now, fast forward to 2023, of what our petition is. So that first petition was about the wolves. And I noticed that the Michigan Bear Hunters Association, Upper Peninsula Bear Houndsman Association, and Wisconsin Bear Hunters Association signed on and joined on. Um, I didn't see anybody from Minnesota uh, Minnesota on there. What? Why is that, you think? I, I don't know. <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's more towards the government affairs team and okay. who they assemble and who they can get on and just kind of timing-wise with other things as well. Hmm. All right. And then there was a second petition. So these petitions, the two petitions were filed on June 29th. They had 90 days to respond, which would have been September 27th. They didn't. That second petition then was basically given the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, a plan, right, for delisting? Yep. Yeah, no. We, uh, we, we had a uh, – basically these two petitions taken together – satisfy the court's needs right like it it it's the blueprint it, it, it's the answer to what we need first petition says delist the western great lakes wolves dps the second petition is saying to create a west coast wolves dps because right now the only other dps is the rocky mountains and that's your idaho montana wyoming and the eastern one-third of oregon and washington the other wolves are kind of out there in no man's land. So we're saying create a Western wolf DPS that's Washington, Oregon, California, that isn't already part of the Rocky Mountain, and then create a remnant population or DPS population that is wolves that may show up elsewhere, out there, anywhere else that, uh, you know, your Nevadas, Utahs, whatever. And so then now we have our DPS is set up and we can delist as each one meets the thresholds. So it allows, I mean, it allows, common sense. <laughs> yeah, it allows you to manage the different populations almost, almost the way state game management agencies manage populations of animals within their state. They're just not under federal. Yeah. I mean, these would still be under federal jurisdiction essentially, but separate from the other wolves in the country. Yeah, so, so you could delist the Western Great Lakes wolves because there's plenty of them and they need yeah. to be managed and still protect the West Coast wolves and the remnant population. And as those populations grow, then you can dial them up and you know take them off the Endangered Species Act. And or if they fall below a threshold, I mean, there's already an automatic trigger that if wolves fall below a certain level, they go back on the ESA immediately. They're, they don't have to go through the listing process and all that again. They immediately go back on the ESA. So you could relist them while keeping another population unlisted or delisted. <laughs> so, so it's really the answer in the blueprint. We handed it to them. Seems just seems so logical. I mean, and, and honestly, none of this yeah. is, there's no logic involved, obviously. Uh, there's There's been, I. You know, I try to stay out of the Facebook arguments, um, and, and we've got this actually a really neat, I think, research organization, the Voyager's Wolf Project up in northeastern Minnesota. There's some biologists doing some really interesting uh, research up there, and generally they stay out of, you know, one side or the other, like most biologists. Generally, they stay out of, they just pr try to present facts and talk about the science, and I had a little discussion of back and forth of them because they presented some numbers about uh, recent deer hunting harvest numbers up in the northeastern part of the state, and I, they, I, I think the there's a there's a huge number that they touched on it but didn't spend much time on it, and that was the the hunter success rates in the last six five six years and how they've decreased uh, so much. But I generally try to stay out of the 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 internet arguments about all of this, but it's definitely it's definitely ramped up around here um, recently. So this has been a, a a pretty important pretty important topic here in Minnesota, especially for our deer hunters. And there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of a uh, lot of deer hunters that get worked up about it, and there's a lot there's a lot of people on the other side, anti hunters or whatever whatever you want to call them, that get pretty worked up about it. But generally, I feel like hunters have a little bit more of the science and boots on the ground knowledge and experience. And I made the comment to you know, on the, oh, there's my there's my post right there. I made the comment right at um, I don't know one of those things where you know so much of this 
you know, the lawsuits to, to relist the wolves was based on emotion and not science. It's a societal issue. It's, it's when I talk to the DNR about sandhill cranes, or you talk to them about trumpeter swans, which are way over population recovery goals. You talk to them about, even when we got the dove hunting season here in Minnesota, so much of it was less about the biology and the fact that these populations are large enough to sustain a, a, a harvest and needing to be managed. But so many people see a, a, a beautiful creature and, and get so emotional about it that they just forget all about they're, they're the ones that tell you usually to trust the science right <laughs> follow the science follow the science that's right and then they just have no idea about the science when it comes to stuff like this like uh like the wolves so getting back to these two petitions they were filed again on june 29th they had 90 days uh, according to the way and, uh, no they had 90 days that's an endangered species act requirement that they have to respond within 90 days yes. Yeah, that's law. That's law. So that that's part of the Endangered Species Act. That's federal law. It's an APA uh, violation that they didn't. So, you know, and we, we kept asking, you know, we're trying to play nice here. Um, and we kept asking and it was just a black hole, just a void. No, no response. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I mean, you, you, you kind of hope that it was just bureaucratic, you know oversight or something uh i don't know because so far you know almost every administration has been supportive of i mean earlier in the year or last year uh the biden administration was appealing the lower 48 uh, delisting ruling and you know they've been fairly good about wolves so you don't know if it's a political thing it's gamesmanship or what you know, so we kept asking, we gave them well over, you know, the 90 days, you know, hoping this would work out, we'd get an answer and could talk. Didn't get one. So they've kind of tied our hands. And so we are have filed the notice of intent to sue. What is the status of that lawsuit? And where do you think that'll go? So it's uh, right now we've just filed the notice. Uh, they have, I don't know if it was 60 or 90 days um, to respond to that. So we are waiting for that deadline to pass. See if they respond, you know, and satisfy our original request. Uh, if so, then we'll have our answer and we can move from there. If not, then we'll have to file suit and, and follow through with it just to simply get an answer. You know, these are petitions. We're asking them. We're saying, here you go. Here's the answer. And so if we just have to sue just to get them to answer and sit down and have a conversation with us, you know, that's it's not great. But uh, there it is. So I guess we'll just kind of see when the uh, when the time comes up. Well, I can about promise you that politics are playing playing a role in this. Uh, you know, especially with everything that's going on in the in the world of politics right now, I, I'm sure that uh, that politics are playing a role in this right now. So uh, I, I'm glad that it's that that they're that you're doing it. It's like I I think when I first saw the post, I think I shared it on my Instagram and I commented, if they're going to use the courts, we're going to use the courts. And I got a pretty big response from that. And sometimes if that if they want to take the fight to the legal system, then then we have to we have to go there and, and do battle against them. And, you know, and and when when we we've got the facts and the numbers to back up, you know, to back up our side of that argument. So, I mean, 100 percent, if they have done such a good job of tying things up in litigation, what's to keep them from? continuing to do that and that's going to become you know that's kind of what the sportsman's alliance has started to turn to i mean so many states have super majorities in their legislatures or like i'm in washington state our fish and game commission which is appointed by the governor just basically on what he feels yeah he has appointed a bunch of anti-hunters and they're trying to do away with predator hunting and so it doesn't do any good to go through the legislatures or the commissions in some states. And so the courts are our final check and balance, right? And so that's something we're going to embrace. The other side does it. They, they're very successful at it. So we, we should too. 
And I mean, we've got a lawsuit in Washington state. We've got a lawsuit in California. We've got two lawsuits against fish and wildlife. Now we've got uh, another one we're supporting uh, fish and wildlife in. And, you know, it's, we have to use all the tools in the toolbox and that's one of them, unfortunately. Man, that, I think you brought up a good point and this, this may be uh, better for a different podcast, but uh, I saw an article, I don't know if it was Outdoor Life or who it was, but it was about uh, people that have an anti-hunting agenda getting appointed to to uh, be commissioners, game commissioners, or in game management agencies. You know, there. I think it was, you know, th- this would open up a whole nother can of worms, but I think we're seeing people that have different agendas getting elected or getting appointed or, or getting into positions of power, which... I guess is the legal way to do it in the United States. But what that means is we need more people that think like us to get into those positions and find a way into those positions. Unfortunately, some of those appointments, there's not much you can do about that. Um, Let's try to get more votes for a different governor, I suppose. But uh, I I think we have, we just have to get so much more active. I don't know if people really grasp the gravity, you know, that's involved with some people that have an anti-hunting agenda being in charge of a, of a state game agency. Like that's a big deal. Yeah, no. And, and so to tie this all together and drive it home. So there's a group called wildlife for all. They're behind a lot of this and they all have the same goal and it's rewilding. So here in Washington, they're taking away the mountain lion hunting, taking away uh, bear hunting, putting more protections on coyotes federal government wants to introduce grizzly bears yeah we have wolves so you got all these predators on the landscape we all know what's going to happen there it is wildlife for all and so they're part of this and this the story you read we kicked the hornet's nest last year and that's what kicked off this store it kicked off and brought everybody's attention to it uh with the wildlife commissions because we started saying hey here it is i'm here in washington I'm in this fight. I'm doing a, uh, another TV show podcast about this tomorrow for our, our wildlife commission and, and what's going on there. Um, but uh, it, it's the same thing. And everybody's like, that's out West. That's Washington. It's no big deal. This is exactly what's going on in the Great Lakes states with wolves. It's what's going on with bears. It's, you know, they try to regulate what is legal and try to keep everything else illegal or make it illegal you know, to, to hunt. So this rewilding effort to protect the wolves, protect bears, it's all the same. And it's playing out you know, the Great Lakes, the West Coast, the East Coast. Eventually it will go to the South, you know. So it's it's uh, a it's a move and a concerted move nationwide, worldwide, you could argue, to remove hunters and hunting from the landscape. Gosh, you know, and I just, I'd forgotten about that website. When you pulled it up there, somebody just sent that to me. Somebody was arguing with me about something and they pulled up that website and I wish I could remember what it was for, but I know somebody was just arguing with me. I think it was on that wolf thread about, because I said hunters are the biggest conservationists out there. Without hunters, there'd be a lot of extinct animals. uh, And we're the ones paying for a lot of it. And somebody argued, quit false, quit spouting Maybe this was here. here. Yeah. Quit spout, quit reading your hunter sportsman magazines and spouting false information about that. The non-hunting public donates a lot more to wildlife conservation, which, so I said, oh, so all my hunter sportsman magazines are wrong and your one anti-hunting website is right. (laughs) Yeah. And so see, and so uh, last year they were in Spokane and had their national conference here. And Wildlife for All had a panel up there uh, for the Wildlife Society, which never should have happened, but they were allowed to. And that's what we kind of kicked the hornet's nest over and everybody's starting to cover now. But their argument is that Pittman Robertson dollars, you know, come from firearm sales and bullets and all that, whether you hunt or not. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of those guys are your three gun shooters, your AR-15s, everything else, which is kind of the catch-22 with the the gun control stuff. Uh, it would have an impact on PR. But they're making the assumption that that because they don't hunt, 
that they don't support hunting and they don't pay they don't want to pay that tax so they're lumping them in they're making assumptions and so it's you know fuzzy math that they use but it sounds great on paper like most of their stuff does you know it's an emotional appeal sounds almost sounds reasonable but it's not but how much proof do they have that those people the three on the competitive shooters that are buying the ammo how do they know they don't hunt or support zero i mean yeah i mean a lot of those (laughs) guys probably do hunt a lot of them do i mean if you just look at sheer numbers of hunters 15 million hunters averaging you know and how many shooters there are but uh or gun owners 80 million or whatever gun owners and i know a lot of hunters that have bought a whole lot of ammunition in the last yeah. Well, they, they claim yeah. they claim 74 percent of guns and ammo are sold not used for hunting how do you know just because it says target type, load on the of. on the box does that mean it's not used for hunting yeah. i shoot a lot of target loads at doves you know like just ba- on a basic low level example i know a lot of people that do a lot of hunting with ars or target guns yeah. like come on uh, I yes. just re- yeah, I, no, I've been me. reading this and it's just I, my blood is starting to boil. <laughs> <laughs> well, it should. To my world. It oh, should. Yeah, I'm not jealous of your job. No, <laughs> you know, no, and I'm not either. And I'm very thankful. Thank you. It's it's almost like when you thank a veteran for their service. It's like thank you for doing what you're doing because it's a very important service uh, that that your organization is doing for us, and um, it seems to be getting more important. Uh, every day. And, and speaking of ammo, we didn't even get into the discussion about lead ammo, but we, we've definitely covered that topic a few times recently here on the show and what they're trying right. to do and how that's uh, an, uh, another step in the direction of uh, trying to ban hunting in certain areas or making it harder or more expensive. Um, yep. But th- when it comes to the Sportsman's Alliance, what where, where does the funding come from? What can people donate? Can people become members? What What can the public do out there? Absolutely. Please join. I mean, we're, we're a small organization compared to your uh, Pheasants Forever, your Ducks Unlimited, you know, turkeys, uh, the deer guys, elk. Uh, but without us, those things are going to go away. You know, we, we like to say, and it's part of our logo really, is we're the tip of the spear. Uh, we're providing defense and, and an offense now. We're, we're going on the, on the offensive here with these court cases. Um, so yeah, we're a membership-based organization. You can donate to the C4. You can become a member of the C3. I think that's how it goes. Um, but uh, yeah, our membership start at thirty-five dollars. You know, you get your hat, sticker, and whatever. Uh, they go up from there with other benefits. You know, with gift cards to Cabela's and anything else. Uh, so yeah, join, please join, because I mean, it comes down to lobbying and lawyers. Yeah. And that's what it costs, you know, and those guys, and they're not cheap. Money. No, <laughs> not the good cheap. ones anyways. So, <laughs> right. So, you know, we, these are the fights we need to pick and that's just what we have to do is, uh, you know, we, we're constantly playing defense because every year they just throw mud at the wall and see what sticks. And we have to try to block all of that and push our good, our good bills that lay a foundation for the future to protect it or file lawsuits or defend against lawsuits, you know, and they have a ton of money on their side. So, you know, we need all the support we can get and you can sign up right there online if you want. All right. And I want to ask you about that Fox here before we go, but uh, real quick, what is the website? Where can people find you? Sportsmen's M-E-N-S, sportsmensalliance.org sportsmansalliance.org. All right. Brian Lynn is our guest. All right. And I want you to tell the story because you were telling us a little bit off the air and we just started a new podcast called the North American Waterfowl Podcast. And to be fair, I actually recorded all the interviews in 2021. So when I say we just started it, it's been a couple of years in the making. Just launched. We're just launching it now. Uh, And the first series of podcasts were about the in search of some of the craziest band stories uh, that we've ever heard of. And we actually just went up to Kodiak Island last year. So uh, North American Waterfowl is a podcast, but it's also going to be a series of films and videos. Like there's our uh, film uh, called Kodiak that we got to do uh, last year up there. It was an amazing duck hunting trip. We didn't shoot any King Eiders, but you had a chance to go do the St. Paul Island bit and uh, go after Kings up there. Tell me about that trip. 
Oh, it was a great trip. I went with uh, Ramsey Russell from GetDucks.com. If you haven't had him on there, you need to have him on. He's a character. Do you need, do you need a um, translator when you talk to Ramsey? <laughs> <laughs> do you speak Southern? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Southern and about 45 minutes for a quick question. Um, but great guy. Uh, it was, I actually took two trips with him, one over to the Netherlands for my barnacle goose right here. Oh, cool. But, wow. uh, yeah. But that this was in 2011 or 2012 for the King Eiders, and uh, I mean Saint Paul, like, like that's just a crazy adventure, and uh, you know the foxes were running around uh, the island out there, which is really cool as a nice little added benefit. But for your crazy band story, uh, Ramsey and I had. Uh, uh, you know, we were delayed there in Anchorage forever and got through with Dillingham finally. And so we got it. We didn't get in until, I don't know, three in the morning or something like that, four in the morning. And so we didn't go out the next, you know, for the first hunt that, that day. But as we got up, the guys who did came in and uh, one of the guys who was at the lodge there came in and he had a banded king eider. That's I mean, awesome. Crazy. And we had joked about that coming in. They're like, oh, so what do you guys want? And we're in the truck and we said something about a, uh, there it is. We said, oh, we just want a banded king. And they're like, <laughs> ah, ha, ha, whatever. It doesn't happen. And literally like hours later, he came in with that banded king. That's so cool. How, and then so it what? started this whole, whole storm up in Alaska about, because uh, it went back to a, uh, an oil spill and they you know went out and captured a bunch of them that were stuck in the oil and cleaned them up and they trekked them all the way back to anchorage i think or dillingham or someplace cleaned them up and then released them after they banded them and he got got one of them years later you know but then it started this big argument again up there and it just the story wouldn't die for years it went on outdoor writers at the two different newspapers were arguing about it and what were they arguing about uh whether or not they should have gone out there and saved the ducks for the amount of money they spent sending a ship out and paying people or whatever and then bringing them back and cleaning them and and just the amount of money being spent to save a couple hundred ducks and they're like yeah the population can handle it you know that's whatever and so they were they were arguing about resource resource use and and some other things now you wrote you wrote a story about this right was that what we were looking at was that outdoor life so it's on the outdoor life website do you remember uh you know how much money was spent on that on taking care of those ducks I don't remember. Was, would it was, be in the there story? Follow up stories. There were in the follow up stories a year or two later because yeah, it ignited a couple of things and two outdoor writers up there fired up at each other. And <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh boy! Yeah, but so, it was just a really cool to see that thing. Well, yeah, and what you that was? We say is 2011 or 2012? 2011, 2012. 2011. Yeah. Well, I was just looking briefly when Dan had that art, uh, that article pulled up, it looked like, um, I don't know what the years were there, but there were only 591 King Eiders banded. And at that time, only 10 had been, uh, at least turned in only 10 had been shot yeah. that they knew of that had been, uh, reported. Is that right? Yeah. 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 It was like, he was like number 10 or 13 or something like that. Real low, like never happened. So it was huge trophy big trophy yeah it looks like here um from 1962 to 2011 that's a long time by the way 50 years only 591 king eiders have been banded of those only nine had been collected and this hunter made 10 according to this so that that is a rare band yeah i think now i think they're up to like 17 or 19 or something like that i remember couple years ago reading okay. a story about one so pull that so, back but up still rare, rare. how old that bird is well so that's what i was just going to look at it was banded in 96 as an adult so i don't know how old king eiders get i haven't i guess i haven't really looked at any banding information on them but so that was so uh 2011 ish so 11 15. Four, so 15 at least 15 years old when it was when it was uh when it was killed so that's an yeah. old band on a rare bird and a rare band, so a rarer band on a rare bird. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, great story. And I mean, those 
those ducks are phenomenal. They're, they're just freaks. I mean, you're sitting there past shooting from the shore and they're just zipping by, just going out into the ocean. Like, where are you going? What are you doing? Like, there's nothing out there except Russia. Like, what are you doing? You know? well, and they just go out there and feed. Yeah, they go out there and feed. Yeah, they find, well, like mussel beds or uh, clam, clam beds or something maybe? Or? Yeah, but they can dive. They can dive. I can't, I wrote it for a story for Shooting Sportsman magazine about how far they can dive. Just, I mean, way down there, way, way down there. And they feed on those, yeah, mussels and whatever out there in the middle of nowhere. And it's how, just the most inhospitable place on the planet. Right. I was just going to ask, how was the weather when you were there? It was colder than hell. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was 40 below and like Jeez. 40 mile an hour winds. And when we took off, I think it was the last week that it, the season was open. Uh, we took off and it was in January, we took off and we could see the ice shelf as it was coming in, you know, the Bering Sea was freezing around it. We oh, had to man. break ice. We had to break the ice in the harbor of St. Paul there. And we're in a little Zodiac breaking <laughs> ice to get out of the harbor. Oh boy. You know, I would yeah. love to, I would love to do that. And we just did layout boats up at uh, Lake of the Woods, not comparing the Northwest angle to St. Paul Island by any means, but it was about 15 degrees yeah, I don't know, 10, 15 mile an hour winds or so. And it, the fog could, you know, you could barely see these ducks until they hit the spread. So that was a, and we were in layout boats. That was a pretty wild hunt. But the extreme nature of the conditions at St. Paul Island, I mean, that would be, I think that's worth the adventure in itself. But man, that would be, that would be pretty crazy. When we were at Kodiak last year, we ended up leaving a few days earlier than we were planning because they had, I think, four or five straight days of like 80 mile an hour winds around the island. So the ferry on the Alaska Marine Highway canceled its uh, its trip to where we were at. So we had to we had to take a flight to the Kodiak City, and we had to wait an extra day, I think, for that. And then we had to spend a day or two in Kodiak before we could take the ferry to Homer, and then we had to get a ride to. Um, Kenai. Kenai. <laughs> Take a flight from Kenai to Anchorage to get out. So we, I mean, we didn't even book our return flights until we were ready to leave Kodiak because we didn't know when we were going to get out. And I mean, we had to basically make our plans and that was right before Christmas last year. And I think we left on what, the 16th. And if we hadn't gone out on the 16th, we wouldn't have been able to get out till after Christmas. Like everything was either, you know, delayed because of weather or booked because they had canceled so many flights so one way to snowstorm here too and there, oh yeah you know, a lot of the highways in minnesota were closed and flights weren't getting into the twin cities so we maybe would have maybe would have made it to seattle i thought seattle. sleepless in seattle <laughs> seattle Christmas. had a storm too <laughs> then they might have i don't know we left so oh, i didn't man. i didn't know it's but that's part of the adventure right i mean that's what makes it so memorable yeah. And then, and so then that's probably why you weren't hunting out of boats, I suppose, because the what the conditions were so brutal hunting from shore. Um, did you get, did you we get did, your ducks? We did a couple. Out we we did a couple boat hunts. Uh, we, it was certain days that you had to wait um, and get out there and just tight little windows. And then you'd be out there and shooting or, or waiting for them to come in. And the guides would be like, okay, time to go in. You're like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, it's, <laughs> starting to break just a little and i'm talking it doesn't look that big you know oh white caps are starting to come up we gotta start heading in now because it'll just turn on like that oh boy and so uh you would head in but uh but yeah ended up getting my birds uh got the king eider got some harlequins got some uh long tails or old squaws whatever you want to call them yeah and then uh i got those in my uh in my coffee table in my man cave i got the king eider on one side and the Harlequins on the other side, and uh, got the uh, long tail set up together, flying um, on on the wall, and then uh, ended up getting the fox. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I got a red fox back here, getting chased by a timber wolf. Uh, but then we got our sea ducks in the <laughs> freezer still. We got to get them. Yeah, I'm going the wrong way here. Yeah, there he is. And the fox is supposed to have a sharp tail Very in its cool. mouth. But uh, the sharp tail fell out, so it's sitting right there for now. But I got to get that fixed. But we <laughs> we got our Harleys, which I didn't realize how easy they were going to be. Uh, we got our long tails on the last day. We each just shot one of those, and uh, it was th that was a little bit tougher for the way we were hunting. But we got them. 
Um, didn't see any eiders. Shot some scoters. But if if you got you got four king eiders in. Uh yeah yeah well I see I ended up with one, two. I think two. I ended up with just two, and then I okay. got the four the four of the others so did so i always ask you know we wanted to when we filmed up there we wanted obviously to have some for the wall but we also wanted to eat some so we we ate some harlequins we ate a long tail we ate scolders mm -hmm. ate a bunch of golden eyes golden mm -hmm. eyes they were all really good actually um and the locals we hunted with some locals so we didn't go through a guide service up there a friend of ours has a house on kodiak island and then he has some friends that are locals up there some natives that took us out great guys and uh scoters and eiders i think scoters for sure were their favorites because they were bigger and fattier and it wasn't until i saw we shot some surf scoters and uh some of the black scoters and i didn't realize how how cool those ducks actually were and how much bigger oh, yeah. they were and we did eat some and they were delicious and we kind of got i don't want to say we really got ripped for eating some of those ducks but we got we definitely had a couple of comments from people like what why would you go and eat those you know those are trophy ducks and they need to be managed we actually we interviewed a biologist we learned about the the history and the research uh on sea ducks and what they're doing and how they do need to do need to be protected to some extent but we didn't want them to be just considered just trophies. We wanted to try eating them a little bit. Yeah. So you got one of your Kings mounted or did you get them both mounted? I just got the one mounted. Uh, he's sitting on a little ice flow at the end of the table and he's down in there. I got his leg, cool. leg hanging down. So, so that, that's yeah, my question. Yeah, I'm curious if anybody, <laughs> if you had a chance to eat one at all or if everybody just kept them for yeah. the wall. You did eat them. No, no, we ate a, we ate some. Yeah, we we okay. cooked some up, and they did them like little buffalo wings almost. And oh, really? Yeah, oh, were they? Yeah. And so yeah, we got the kings. We also got a Pacific eider. Oh, we cool. We had some scoters in there and stuff too. So, yeah, those were those were kind of added bonuses along with the fox. That's awesome. I love it. I want to go back so bad. Uh, you know, I would leave tomorrow. If, uh, if I can go up there again, it's such cool. That was a bucket list. Number one bucket yeah. list for me was uh, duck hunting in the mountains with, with the mountains in Alaska as a backdrop. I didn't realize how big of a deal Kodiak Island was for waterfowling. You know, I just, I was going to Alaska yeah. to hunt ducks with, you know, with mountains around me. And, and then when I told everybody we're going to Kodiak, they're like, Oh, <laughs> you know, it's like, I feel like it's yeah. Kodiak Island and, and St. Paul Island are kind of the two big des best destinations up there. Uh, obviously there's some other places where waterfowling is great, Cool Bay and, and some of the other places around there, but, uh, man, Kodiak is a special place up there. So, all right, yeah. Brian, um, I kept you longer than I told you I would. So I appreciate the time. I'll let you get back there. Uh, but Sportsman's Alliance, Sportsman's Alliance Foundation, keep up the, keep up the good work. It's an important thing. Uh, sportsmansalliance.org, correct? Sportsmansalliance.org? Yes, sir. Is the website. Uh, Brian Lynn, Vice President, Marketing and Communications. Thanks for the time today on the show. Thank you very much. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.